Please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We left off in verse 19. Daniel chapter 3 is we're going through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 19. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for Dan and thank you that he's our missions pastor and pray that you would comfort him and Lord, his whole entire family, and that you would really bless uh, this memorial service, that you would cause your name to be proclaimed. We thank you for the hope of heaven and the reality of eternal life. And God, as we studied this morning, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would instruct us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Seven times, seven times hotter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says, heat it up seven times. Sometimes in our lives, we have just normal difficulty. Life tends to be challenging, but then it seems like the heat gets turned up. You ever had the heat turned up in your life uh, seven times, and you go through something that you never thought uh, possible, and you find yourself in that fiery furnace. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as some strange thing happened to you. God's saying, don't think it strange that you go through a fiery trial. Like, trials are going to be part of this life. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us the purpose of trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is allowing us to go through fiery trials to grow our faith, to refine our faith. It has that refining effect in our hearts and our lives. Sometimes it's difficult to really examine where we're at with the Lord, isn't it? You know, where's my heart with God? And am I walking with him and enjoying fellowship with him? Or have I started to drift or, or maybe walking in disobedience to the Lord? But one thing that trials do is that they reveal our foundation, don't they? Jesus said there's two men. And one built his house upon the rock. The other built his house upon the stand. The storm came in and washed out the house because it had no foundation upon the sand. But the house that was built upon the rock lasted says, you're that man, you're that second man if you hear my words and you do them. If you make Christ your foundation. It doesn't mean that the trial doesn't hurt, that it's not confusing, that it's not difficult. But at the end of it, you're not wiped out because your foundation in your life is Christ. So the trial might be revealing, oh man, I do trust the Lord. Or the trial may be revealing, oh, there's an area for me to grow in this area of trusting the Lord. As you know, I enjoy drinking coffee. A lot of times I'll grab a cup of coffee in the car in the morning. If I get a travel mug, things go better. Sometimes I don't get a travel mug and just grab a coffee cup. If I've got a coffee cup and I hit a bump, whatever is inside of the cup is going to come out. It's inevitable. And when we go through trials, whatever is truly inside of me is going to come out. And trials reveal that. They reveal where we really are with the Lord. This is an important section of scripture because I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's experience teaches us a lot about trials. You maybe remember Nebuchadnezzar has this golden image that he's made. 
He's requiring everyone to bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no way. We are not bowing down. We're going to serve the one true living God. Their foundation was revealed in the trial. That they were surrendered to the Lord, that they were worshiping the Lord. Join me in verse 19. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't used to people telling him no to these commands that he would give. Everybody, the whole country was bowing down. But here these three men choose to stand up. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious and anger comes over his face in fury. Nebuchadnezzar's a tyrant. He's an example of a prideful, arrogant person that's the opposite of the life that God would want us to live. He spoke and commanded that the heat on the furnace, he spoke and commanded that the heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Seven times hotter. Let's say you take your oven and you set it at 400 degrees. Times that times seven to 2,800 degrees. Even if you try to bake something at 500 degrees or 550 degrees, if you're baking sourdough bread. Now don't be confused. I don't bake sourdough bread, but my wife does. She gets the oven really hot You don't even want to touch the outside of the oven if the oven's at 550. I mean, you you feel like you're taking a risk with your whole house when the oven's at 550. Like, this thing might just just explode. So it was 2,800 degrees. So here they have this this big inferno, this big furnace, and they said, let's just turn it up seven degrees. Seven times, not seven degrees, seven times hotter. And this is what was facing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In verse 20, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, in his foolishness, in his anger and arrogance, he's going to kill some of his best men. We're going to find that these men that throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, that they die in the process. And they were mighty men of valor, they were proven soldiers serving right in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. I was thinking about all of the great soldiers throughout history that have died because of a tyrant leader, you know? Here, these guys haven't done anything wrong. They're good soldiers. They're the best that Babylon has to offer, but by the end of the day, they've died because of Nebuchadnezzar's decisions. I'm sure you realize, church, this is a side note, but we live in a great country. You know why? One of the reasons is we get to choose our leaders. We get to vote in our leaders, and then our leaders have a lot of power, don't they? Nebuchadnezzar's got a lot of power, and so it's important to be involved in in that process. Verse 21, these men were bound in their coats, speaking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Why the detail describing their clothes? Because all of this is very flammable material. Got coats, trousers, head coverings, turbans, garments. They're they're thrown in 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 their full garb. Verse 22, therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these guys, these mighty men of valor, they were killed 
just bringing up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the fiery furnace. This shows God's miraculous protective power on these three men. It reminds me of what we're going to read in future study with Daniel. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. He's protected by God. The men that set him up in the morning after Daniel was found to be safe, they are thrown in with their families into the lion's den. The Bible tells us that the lions ate them even before they hit the ground. So it shows God's protective power. In verse 23, And the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So they're thrown into the furnace. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Remember they had declared, we believe that God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we trust him. If he doesn't, we're going to still serve the one true living God. At this point, they're probably going, this is it. God's not going to deliver. This is, this is the end of our lives. What, what a horrible place to go. They're, they're being thrown into the fire, thrown into the, the fiery furnace. The text emphasizes that they were bound. They, they were tied up as they were thrown into the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. This is a spectacle. This has everybody's attention. Nebuchadnezzar's watching this martyrdom and his men and his counselors. And Nebuchadnezzar, now you can almost picture him starting to rub his eyes. It's like, wait a second. Didn't we throw three guys in, into the fire? Am I, am I seeing things? And so now he's asking uh, the counselor, I, I thought there were three. And the response Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. I see four. There's, yep, you're right. There's, there's a fourth person that's walking in the fire. And they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So the first thing that we note about this is that trials provide freedom. They were bound, but now they're walking around. The only thing that was burned off were the ropes that, that bound them. A lot of times in trial, God burns off bondage. God brings growth. He brings character into our lives that wasn't there prior. Maybe you've had a fear of not having money, of not having finances, and it's something that's held you in bondage. Then God allows there to be a season where it's lean, a season of financial difficulty. And you begin to have that fear burned off and you go, man, the Lord was there. The Lord was faithful. We, we got through that. I don't have to live my life in fear of not having financial resource. You know, maybe it's this, this fear of death and as brutal as that is and you go through the loss of a loved one and it's crushing and it breaks your heart but then you realize, man, there's hope in Christ. The grave doesn't have the final word and you don't fear death in the, in the same way. We all have sin struggles. Aren't those fun, you know? Those areas of our life that we'd like to see change and grow and be more Christ-like. And oftentimes where God does his greatest work in those areas is through trial. Maybe we're not very compassionate. We're not very merciful. We don't tend to, to really care for others in need. Do you know what one of God's ways of solving that is allowing us to go through difficulty 
And then we find ourselves really compassionate. Like, man, I can hardly walk into a hospital room now without crying. What's up with that? Well, God is, has broken me. Sometimes we can see this better in other people's lives. You have a close friend, and maybe you've known them for a long period of time, and you see them go through a time of suffering, and they press into the Lord, and you go, you're not even the same person. The person that I'm talking to right now, you're distinctly different, and that's because God has used this trial in your life. But also, we've all known and seen it in ourselves, people that go through a hard time, they don't press into the Lord, they get a hard heart, they get bitter, and they fall away from Christ and get angry at the body of Christ. God wasn't there for me. The church wasn't, wasn't there for me. So trials don't guarantee freedom. Trials don't guarantee growth. A lot of it has to do how we respond. Do we turn to the Lord or not? If we do choose to turn to the Lord, let patience have its perfect work, then growth comes. Freedom comes. We went into the trial bound. But now, as we go through the trial, we find freedom in our lives. In Romans 5, it expresses this. Romans 5, verse 3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Did you catch that? Glorying in tribulation. Because we know it produces perseverance, it produces character, it produces hope. We're going to be more Christ-like at the end of this. Rarely does real growth take place bonding to the Lord in a greater way, bonding to others in a greater way without extreme pain. I wish there was another way, don't you? I wish that that wasn't the case. The way that we seem to be engineered is when we go through pain, we can either get bitter and hard like we talked about, or that pain can become a sacred space where we meet with God and we meet with others and God uses that pain to grow us, uses that pain for us to have perseverance, uses that pain for us to have character. Church, I, I wish that character really got de developed in the comfort of this sanctuary and these comfortable blue chairs. Okay, let's be honest, they're really not that comfortable, but you know, real character isn't developed here. This is important, and we, and we hold on to God's word when we go through trial. But real character is developed through pain. Real Christ-likeness is, is developed through going through hard times. So if you're in the fiery furnace right now today, it's first to understand, hey, this trial's revealing my foundation. Then also, this trial's going to provide freedom if I press into the Lord. There's going to be growth that, that happens in my life. And we go on in verse 25, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. So as Nebuchadnezzar is seeing this, and the counselor is seeing this, the, the counselor says, yeah, and the fourth is like unto the Son of God. The, the fourth is a supernatural being. So there's this discussion that happens in the text. Is this Christ stepping onto the pages of the Old Testament, called a Christophany, or is this an angel? Nebuchadnezzar and his counselor ultimately don't know. They just know that there's a fourth person, and this, this fourth person is protecting in a supernatural way. And as they're looking, they're saying, this is like unto the Son, son of God. 
We do know there's places in the Old Testament where Christ does come and, and appear. For me personally, I think it was Christ. I think it was Christ that was stepping into this fiery furnace and fellowshipping with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can I prove that dogmatically? You know, the text does say like unto the Son of God. So it may have been the Son of God. It may have been, been an angel. But I can tell you this doctrinally, dogmatically, that Christ is with us as believers in every moment of life, including the trials. We know that to be true. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. There's an interesting verse in Revelation 1, verse 15, describing Jesus in his glorified state. It says, His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. John, as he sees a vision of Christ, is trying to describe it, and he's going, there's something special about his feet. They're like brass, because he's gone through the fiery furnace. Think about all of the things that Jesus has walked believers through throughout the ages. So this brings us to another point, is trials reveal Christ. Trials reveal Christ. Many times in trials, we understand that Jesus is with us in a greater way. Because we're looking to him. We're crying out to him. He's walking with us in the fiery furnace. I oftentimes wonder, how do unbelievers get through this life without Christ? Because they go through trials too. And what a comfort to know there's going to be no trial in this life that Christ is not going to be present with me. Psalms 23 tells us that he's our good shepherd and he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He walks with us through every valley, through every trial. When we go through a fiery furnace, we realize that Christ is with us in a greater way. But we also have his sufferings revealed to us. How do we get to a place of appreciating and understanding the depth of the suffering of Christ. This side of heaven, we're never going to fully understand all that Christ went through for us on the cross. When we get to heaven, that's going to be opened up to us in a much greater way, beholding the lamb who was slain. But as we go through difficulty in our lives, we hold on to the cross. How do we know what it felt like for Jesus to be betrayed by Judas with a kiss, his follower for three years. Well, when you get betrayed by someone that should love you, when they betray you with a kiss, when no one else understands, you go, wow, Christ, you understand. There's sometimes, as sinners, when we get accosted by other people's sin, it's mind-blowing. Sometimes it happens in a very personal way. Sometimes it happens in reading the news or hearing the news. We go, oh man, that's horrific. Imagine Christ who is sinless. He who knew no sin became sin for us and experienced the punishment of sin. We go, wow, how intense that, that must have been. That all develops as we go through suffering. Every physical suffering that we go through in life can point us to the physical suffering of Christ. Paul prayed that he wanted to know the power of his resurrection. Amen, that one's great. Yeah, we want to know the power of his resurrection. But then he also said, I want to fellowship with his suffering. He was praying for suffering in his life so that he could share that in common with Christ in a greater way. How important is that? Incredibly important. 
The cross is the message of God. It's salvation. It's what we declare. And as we come to appreciate and understand the suffering of Christ in a greater way, we're sharing from a very personal point, a a personal encounter with, with Christ, and suffering provides that. Christ is revealed in his comfort through suffering. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in any trial. How would we know his comfort if it wasn't for trial? Christ is revealed in trial. We see his sustaining power in trial. Paul had a trial in his life, a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God three times to take it away. And the Lord responded to Paul and goes, well, you just don't have enough faith. Is that what it says? You guys with me this morning? (laughs) That's not what God said to the Apostle Paul. I can't imagine saying that to Paul. He was a man of faith. God says no to Paul, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. God says, I'm going to leave this thorn. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The weakness gave an opportunity for God's sustaining power. In trial, we get broken. We get to that place. My God, I can't do this. I can't go on. I don't don't even know. And it causes us to rely upon God's strength. And that may be the greatest gift of the trial, is it puts us in a place of weakness where we have to depend upon the Lord. So Christ is revealed in trial. And we go on and we see what takes place. In verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. These dudes didn't want to go out of the fire. Why? Because Jesus was walking with them, and they were having great fellowship with Jesus. What do you do when you see fire, and fire is in your close proximity? Run, stop, drop, and roll. Get away, that, the heat. And here they're being protected by the Lord. They're saying, I'm just going to stay here and enjoy this, this moment. Sometimes as I look back in the trials of my life, I go, I don't ever want to go through that again. That was horrific. But yet there was something special about the fellowship with Christ. There's a part of us that goes, man, I don't know if I want to leave. This is such a, an intimate, personal place with the Lord and Christ is being revealed. In verse 27, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the king's council gathered together and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of the fire was not on them. This is amazing. God protects them completely. Not even one hair is singed. Hair's flammable. Doesn't take a lot for hair to catch on fire. At our Christmas Eve services, we tend to have candle lighting. And it's neat. I love to see the light start in the front of the sanctuary and go all the way through an illustration of Christ being the light of the world. But I'm also standing up here, nervous, that someone's hair is going to catch on fire. We tend to wear a lot more hair product on Christmas Eve, you know, want to look our best for a Christmas celebration. All it takes is one little kid going, I wonder what this would do to grandma's hair, right? (laughs) And not even one hair is burned. 
is singed. Their clothes are not singed. There's not even a smell of smoke on them. And we get this idea of Nebuchadnezzar and the leaders, these leaders that had experienced having to bow down to this golden image. And they're like, dude, you don't even smell like smoke. Not even at all. It doesn't take a lot to smell like smoke. If you're around a campfire for a minute, man, you smell like smoke. Better wash those clothes. Take a shower. If you go to Five Guys for lunch, you're going to smell like smoke. Like you, you are going to smell like burger. And it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. But, you know, come home to your wife after that, guys, and want to give her a good kiss and no thanks, right? Doesn't take a whole lot to, to smell like smoke. God protected them in a, in a very special way. In verse 28 through 30, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servant, who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks against anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there's no other God who can deliver like this. Another death threat from Nebuchadnezzar. This is his favorite thing. All right, guys, now now that you've been protected from this, anybody that speaks against your God, we're going to kill them. Verse 30 Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Look at the attributes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They they sacrificed their bodies. They valued worship even over their their own lives. They stood strong and, and God honored them. This is the second profession that we see from Nebuchadnezzar. When Daniel interpreted his dream, He was humbled and expressed glory to God, and once again, he does it here. But as we'll continue to study Nebuchadnezzar's life, this is just lip service. His heart hasn't been converted to the Lord. He hasn't surrendered his heart to to the Lord. I think he is moved. He is confronted with the knowledge of the the one true living God. How could you not? He's emotionally moved, and he says these words about God being the most high God but yet he doesn't see his need for God. He, he wants to continue to walk in pride and, and walk in, in arrogance. Romans 10, 9 tells us that salvation's an issue of the heart, that we need to confess with our mouths but believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead. You know where your heart is. You know commitments that you've made with your heart. It's like a Broncos fan saying that they're a Raiders fan. Like, that's just lip service. And we don't even know because all the Broncos fans were at the 9 o'clock service because the Broncos are playing at the 11 o'clock service. So I got a lot of AMNs at the 9 o'clock on that one, right? But we know when our hearts are, are surrendered, when our hearts are, are committed, when we mean something with our hearts. And, and maybe this morning, as you look at Christ, you go, you know what, I acknowledge his existence, I've seen him do great things, but I haven't surrendered my heart to him. I haven't believed in my heart that he's, he's God, that he died for my sins, and that he rose again. 
The last point that we see with trials in verse 28 through 30 is this, is that trials provide a testimony. Trials provide a testimony. Because of this trial, because of the whole fiery furnace experience, God sets a stage for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to glorify God, to spread the knowledge of God, to Nebuchadnezzar and all these leaders. I think we can say with confidence that this was the talk of the town. It was filling people's Twitter feeds and Facebook and Snapchat. I mean, it was known what God had done through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is a missional God, meaning he desires for people to know his love. The Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. He, he, it was the Father's intent to send his Son so that people could know Christ. That involved suffering on Christ's behalf. So God will allow us to suffer so that there'll be an opportunity for unbelievers to see the one true living God. The Bible tells us that rain falls on the just and the unjust, meaning trials happen to believers and unbelievers. It rained a lot yesterday. During our Saturday night service, we had a, the sanctuary flood a little bit. You'll kind of notice towels by the door and water came in here and there. And if you were at Austin Bluffs and Academy last night at six, the rain was coming down whether you were a believer or an unbeliever. So everybody goes through trials. Believers get cancer. Unbelievers get cancer. Believers lose their jobs. Unbelievers lose their jobs. But as believers suffer, hopefully they're able to see, man, there's a difference. Here's this believer who has cancer, who's terminal, that's passing away, and they're heartbroken, but they know that this life's not all that there is, and they're holding on to the hope of, of eternal life. Here's this believer going through this breaking relational difficulty, but yet they're finding comfort in the Lord. And they're watching this, and it, it's giving opportunity to share the gospel. And sometimes I have a really hard time remembering that God's much more concerned with someone's salvation than my present comfort. He's saying, Eric, it's okay. You can go through some suffering. You can go through the fiery trial. I'm going to be with you. You're going to grow. You're going to learn more about me. And I'm concerned with people that don't know Christ as, as their Savior. In February of this year, my dad was diagnosed with, with colon cancer. It's a second round with, with cancer. And, and thankfully, they caught it early. So this is going to be a routine surgery. It should, should go well. Maybe two, two days in the hospital, three days at the most. You shouldn't have any follow-up uh, treatment. And we're like, all right, great, let's, let's do this. So he's up in Denver, has the colon surgery going through the recovery, and he developed a leak. And when they hooked up his plumbing after they took out the, the cancer, he's got a leak. So his, his whole chest cavity just fills up with his own bile. And he develops an extreme in, infection, spends 27 days in the hospital, in ICU a couple of times, right on death's doorstep. And when I talked with my dad at his house, when he first got diagnosed, he looked me in the eyes and he says, Eric, without a test, you can't have a testimony. That was his response to the news of, of getting cancer and having to go through, go through this surgery. And that was really true in his experience in his time in the hospital. I remember sitting with my mom 
and the surgeon, my brother, my sister, were all in this little room, and the surgeon's coming in right before he goes into operation, and my mom looks at him and says, can we, can we pray for you and, and pray over this surgery? And the surgeon's a very confident man, and he, he looks at my mom and expresses that he's an atheist, that he doesn't believe in the power of prayer, and we can do that privately if we want to. And he was dis- disturbed. Like, it got into his personal space. Like, he was offended that somebody wanted to, to pray with them. And he comes back about five minutes later, still prior to the surgery, and he apologizes to my mom. He knew that he'd been rude. And he's like, I'm sorry, just kind of took me off guard and, and those type of things. My dad had to have several surgeries through this process. And by the last surgery, he let my mom pray with them. You know, my mom won out. I think her persistence won out o- over his. And she's like, this lady's going to keep asking me. I might as well, well say yes. But it gave opportunity for my parents to be involved in his life. They continue to see him in, the, in these follow-up uh, visits, and thankfully my dad's getting stronger. There were times where my dad wasn't lucid with all that he was going through, and then there were times that he was, and sitting and visiting with him, a nurse would come in, and he'd stop talking to me, and he'd look at the nurse and say, tell me your name, if they were new, and he, he, he hadn't had them before, and they would say their name. And he'd look him right in the eye and say, hey, thank you so much for helping me. Thank you so much for, for taking, care, taking care of me. And you could see these, these nurses being impacted just by his care and concern for them. The, the affliction, the difficulty, the fiery furnace, it brought him into people's lives that he wouldn't have been in otherwise and gave him an opportunity to share. And we need to be reminded about this. This is what trials do in our lives. They, they put us in a new location with new opportunities and to start looking around for the Nebuchadnezzar. You know, here I am in this fiery furnace. Here I am in this difficulty. God, what are you doing? Where's, where's the unbeliever that I can share with? So maybe there's a plumbing emergency at the house and you try everything you can to fix it, but you can't and you call the plumber. When that happens at our house, I'm like frustrated that I'm going to have to fork out the money to the plumber. Like, man, they're like going to charge me 75 bucks whether they can do anything or not, you know? Like, but we got to do it. We just got to, we got to pay them. And generally, I'm not thinking God's more concerned with the plumber's salvation than with me having to fork out money to get it fixed. I hate spending money on tires. I don't know about you guys. They say they're 50,000 mile tires. They are not 50,000 mile tires. It doesn't matter how many times you rotate them. So when I'm going into to big O tires, I'm already in a bad mood, you know? And I'm not thinking about God's more concerned with this person that's selling me the tires where they're at with the Lord and where, how everybody else is doing as they sit in, in big O tires. And so it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to cause us to stop for just a moment to get perspective and say, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? So are you in a fiery trial? First is it's going to reveal your, your foundation. It's going to reveal whether your, your life is built upon Christ or not. And then look for God to burn off some bondage. Burn off some bondage. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've had this conversation with people. And it doesn't always go like this, but you'll get the idea. You know, my wife and I, right before we went through this heartbreaking difficulty, this trial that came into our lives, we were, we were getting ready to buy carpet. 
And we were kind of arguing about the carpet. She wanted this carpet. I wanted that carpet. And going back and forth about the carpet. And as we were trying to make the decision, we got that phone call. And our, our lives got rocked. And you know what? The furthest thing from my mind was the carpet. I don't care about the carpet anymore. What happened? Bondage got burned off. Doesn't that happen in trial? Go, here I was so stressed out about this or being so selfish about this or thinking that life was all about this and all of a sudden I went through this difficulty and God changed my perspective and I'm seeing things differently now. So look for bondage to be burned off and then look for Christ. He's with you in the trial and look for fellowship with Christ. Go deeper into his suffering, into his comfort and his love. He really does want to meet you and comfort you in a special way. And then opportunity. Look for opportunity to share. And I know that's difficult because the suffering is so hard. But people are going to listen while you're going through suffering. They watch your life getting wrecked and to be able to express, you know what, this is what's getting me through. This is what I'm learning about Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and God, we just ask that you would continue to to meet us in the trials of life. I pray for those this morning that are really going through difficulty, that you would meet them, that you would comfort them, that you would walk with them in such a unique way. And God, we pray for those that, that don't know you. Maybe some in this service today that haven't surrendered their heart and life to you, that you would pursue them with your love that you would communicate your death and your resurrection and how you desire to be in relationship with them. So Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.